1: Hi, I'm Bill, and today we're going to be uh, discussing recovery from food addiction. I'd like to welcome Steph and Hannah to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi. Hi, Bill. Uh, as members of Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, they're going to share their obsession, uh, their food addiction, and talk about how Food Addicts in Recovery has helped them. Um, so, Steph, we usually start talking about growing up. So... What was life like growing up for you?
0: Well, I can't, my parents were very good. They loved me. There weren't any issues that we weren't neglected. I've got a younger sister. Um, but from earliest memories, I, f- I remember feeling very uncomfortable in my own skin. I, I thought other people were better than I was. Other people's families were better, better than mine. I lacked self confidence as it used to be called then mm. and uh, and yet, on the surface it, it didn't appear so The teachers used to uh, call uh, used to choose me for parts in place if If there was a teacher absent in one of the lower grades, i 'd be one of the children that was called to come and fill in, obviously not to teach but just to to keep them occupied and and keep them quiet. And yet, that wasn't how I felt about myself. I remember children who were a bit jealous would say something negative to me, and that was my focus, not that the fact that the teacher called me. It was the focus of what they said to me.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, did you find yourself a little bit intimidated or not?
0: And. In- I was a fearful child, if that's what you mean. Yeah, yes, yeah. I was fearful of, of things. I was scared that I couldn't do things perfectly um, and therefore I didn't try a whole lot of things. I was fearful of making decisions um, and, and lots of opportunities were missed because of that and the less decisions I made, the more difficult it was to ma- it became to make the next decision. Right. So that certainly hampered me. Okay, uh, so was food an issue in your home? Uh, in the sense that my parents um, came from Eastern Europe and they, they suffered through the war. My mother lost her, my parents lost their first child due to malnutrition. My mother's malnutrition, of course, the baby was born malnourished, survived two hours. So that was something. That when I was born, it was very important to keep me alive, and food did it. So there was a lot of food that my mother gave me, right. and I ate. I enjoyed it, I must say. <laughs> I didn't fight against it. Yeah. Okay.
1: So growing up, then was food an issue in your
0: school time when you're a school child? I I don't remember it being an issue. I mean, my parents gave me lunch. I ate it. Um, I had money; I could go to the tuck shop. I'd buy food. It wasn't it wasn't denied to me. I, I didn't have to steal money uh, to to go and buy things that I, I that I wanted to eat. No. Mm.
1: So when did it start becoming an issue for you?
0: Well, I became aware of my weight around fifteen, sixteen. Uh, I was always I always felt uncomfortable in my body and always was aware that I was chubbier than other children, but at fifteen sixteen I think it really became an issue, and I didn't know what to do to stop eating. I I think I I don't remember when I started my first diet, but I think I I um, made sure that I didn't eat certain foods, and. Even though I would eat a whole lot of other sugar and flour products, there were certain products I wouldn't touch because I said to myself, they were too fattening. They were too fattening. (laughs) You know, it's really quite amusing. But so I would restrict, I would go on a diet, it would last a while, and then I would, you know, go off it again. Um, I I remember making my mother take me to a doctor when I was about 15, 16, needed to know how much I should be weighing. And the doctor wouldn't tell me how much. And I have a feeling that the reason I wanted to know was not because I wanted to help myself, but that was just another way of abusing myself. You see, you're too fat. I knew you were too fat. You're a yep. bad person. Yep.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> um, so did um, was your mother... Happy with you as a as a child? Yeah, yeah. yeah she yeah. was. Yeah. She she loved me. She loved my sister. I was my father's favorite, and that that in itself caused a problem to me because I didn't feel I lived up to his expectations. I didn't think I was mm. good enough to be his favorite. So that <laughs> you know, my sister was jealous of the fact. Yeah. But it you know, I made my life miserable because of that.
1: Yeah. It's ironic, isn't it? Mm, yeah. Very,
0: very. <laughs> so.
1: In, in high school then, it must have, body image is pretty important in high yes. school. So how did yes. it affect you?
0: Well, I always felt on the outer. I did not join groups, although there were lots of girls I knew in high school. Um, but I felt shy to join the group because I thought they wouldn't want me. That was That was the feeling I had. And especially as my best friend left at the end of year 11, she went overseas. So year 12, I was basically on my own. It was a very hard year. And there were other girls there. And but I did not, I felt very uncomfortable and lacking in confidence to break into the groups. So I found uh, a girl who also was on the outer, although she used to try and break into the groups. That did I don't think they really wanted her, so we paired up. So, so in my mind, there were a couple of losers that became friends in year 12.
1: Right, okay. So leaving school then,
0: mm-hmm.
1: how, did, how did your life change?
0: Did your eating change? Um, I was more aware of what I ate. I remember um, I, where I worked, those morning and afternoon tea, and I stopped using sugar in tea and coffee. To, well i don't i wouldn't take it now, but till I reached program, I did not have sugar or, or in my uh, coffee or tea that wasn't it was really quite interesting so it was years and years and years i didn't use sugar in tea and coffee i'd have chocolates and I have biscuits and things like that but not sugar in my in the mm, hot drinks yeah. good, good control yeah <laughs> good control exactly so yeah it affected it affected me I was always on a diet always yep. dieting mm. right.
1: Okay. um so what about relationships? I
0: I didn't I didn't start dating I remember when I was 15 16 even 17 going Saturday night to the pictures with my parents. I just didn't feel comfortable. I belonged to a youth group and there were boys and girls so sometimes we would do things together as a group but it wasn't until I think it was about 17 and a half. A, bit, a little bit older that I felt comfortable going out with a boy. And, yeah, and after that, it didn't seem to be a problem. It was a problem in my mind.
1: Yep. Yeah, <laughs> right, okay. Um, Hannah, over to you. Um, yeah. So what was life like for you growing up?
2: Um, I think I've always been – I've always wanted the food. Um, I've always wanted the sugar and flour products. Um I grew up in a milk bar until the age of six. And oh, that would have been fantastic. Yeah, well, you'd think so. But my mum was very uh, strict about what we could eat and didn't let us have um, too many of the treats at all, in fact. And, um, yeah, there was one night when I was very young, I was actually caught um, stealing the lollies from the cabinet. Oh, right. and. um and yeah, put back to bed and, uh, yeah, got into big trouble for that. But yeah, I always I felt like I, um, I was always trying to get more of something. Um, I grew up, uh, loving to go and see my grandmother in the country. She was an, an amazing cook. Um, and it was the sweet things after the big roast lunch, um, that came out that were beautifully baked that, I just couldn't get enough of, and um, very early on, I had that awareness about. Oh, do you think anyone will notice if I take another one, or oh, if I take a third, or if I, if I helped pack up and take the the trays yeah. back to the kitchen, then I can have a few more. Um, so that sneaky eating behind people's backs um, was very much a, a big part of of my growing up. Yeah. Mm.
1: I'm sure it was with a lot of people really it's it's something kids do it's yeah, yeah it's not i don't think it's that unusual
2: okay yeah, <laughs> yeah. um well ma- yeah, maybe it just got worse and worse <laughs> with time for me <laughs> yeah okay um
1: so usually mothers are the ones who pick up on particularly daughters eating, so was your yeah. mum concerned?
2: she was concerned um at a young age uh in kindergarten, I was weighed as a health check, and I was told that I was quite solid and overweight for my for my height and age and she was concerned to the extent where it, when I was about six I was put on a, a skim milk powder that I had to have on my cereal in the morning and it just made my stomach turn. It was just, it tasted awful. Um, I felt like I was being punished. Um, I wasn't allowed to have what my sisters were having and I felt like um that, that concern sort of turned into quite a lot of control um, from her and and my dad. My dad wouldn't hold back on making comments every now and then um, about how much I was eating and how I had to be careful because I'd get fat um, yeah. and he'd just say it straight out, you know, no, no holding back. <laughs> no, fil- <laughs> yeah. no filters. Yet. No filters, yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. um, so... What about as in your teens? Did it become more of a problem in your teens?
2: Yeah, in my teens, uh, once puberty hit, um, uh, and my grandmother would make comments and say, "Oh, well, you lose all your puppy fat soon." And um, but I didn't seem to lose the puppy <laughs> fat. Yeah, so in my teens was when I started going on on diets. Um, my first diet was when I was about 13 years old. Um, and it was a meal replacement biscuit that I, you you ate for for lunch and, and that was all right. Again, I didn't really like the taste. I felt like I was missing out. There's always this feeling of missing out. And within a very short period of time, I remember just going to the tuck shop just to try and, um, yeah, fill up on, on the things that I really wanted to eat. Um, so, how did food make you feel? Oh yeah, especially the sweet things um, would it it almost would just give me a zing on my tongue. Uh, I could just feel like I could block out anything it would uh, it would really light me up, um, it would energize me um, later on i 'd use a lot of flour products like cakes and things like that to just numb out and, and make me go to sleep. I didn't realize the difference between the sugar and the flour, but quite often I'd have the two together, but it yeah. just made me feel really, really good. I could manage life if I, I had a full stomach and, um, yeah, I, yeah, just, just loved it. Mm. Yeah. So
1: how did, how did you get your food?
2: Um, well, um, I had limited amount of pocket money when I was little, but I've been known to – I I did steal money from my parents, um, coins and things like that. Um, I'd ride the streets and take back empty soft drink glass bottles and exchange them for um, lollies at the milk bar. Um, I'd find any way I could. Um, I guess later on that manifested in the way I'd – I'd never want to uh, – I love leftovers. I'd hide them in the fridge for myself, um, always knowing that I could go back to it or there'd be secret stashes that I'd, I'd have around the house as well. So, yeah, any way I could get my food, I could. I, I loved being with friends that that their parents um, didn't mind uh, um, or didn't restrict their their food Um and there was always lollies available and, yeah, happy to make friends with those, those people, yeah. Right,
1: okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, so we might just take a quick break. You're listening to Living Free on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. We've got over 60 podcasts available on the show and you can find them at 3cr.org.au forward slash livingfree and also on iTunes. Uh, If you'd like to contact us, then you can call the 3CR office on 9419 8377 or send us an email at 3crlivingfree at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at 3CRlivingfree. We usually play a community service announcement and this one is about 3CR Disability Day on the 3rd of December. (laughs) Each year, 3CR celebrates International Day of People with Disability. I want choices and rights. Join us on Monday, December 3rd from 7am to 7pm for a day of dedicated programming.
2: Hear our voices on the issues that matter to us. The right to access, education, empowerment, pride, to creativity and expression, to freedom from discrimination and violence. Tune in on December 3 from 7am to 7pm on 3CR.
1: Choices
0: and join the fight for the choices and rights of disabled people. <laughs> I was like, that was good enough, yeah? Excellent, done. Accent to women.
1: It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um, cultural milieu that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives.
2: Accent
0: to women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the... How the can country. people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accent to Women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds.
2: Every Monday from 11am on Community Radio 3CR.
1: I'm talking with Steph and Hannah, and we're talking about food addiction and how food addicts in recovery can help. Um, So, Steph, I think we sort of got up towards the end of your teens, Um, So, and I think we were talking about relationships and things like that. So, how did life progress as you moved into work, Um, and also, how did your relationship to food change?
0: Okay. Um, Well, I was dieting. And I I thought I was very overweight, but looking at photos now would have been a few pounds, well, yeah. a couple of kilos, two or three kilos, which is not a huge amount, perhaps even less than that. My memory is a little bit blurred, and I always thought I was fatter than I was. Um, so the dieting, the watching what I was eating, the restriction, uh, and so socially, I had friends. I had quite a few friends, and I'd go out, and I had boyfriends, and then so and and there were the I was always aware of my weight, but I was keeping it under control. Um, so you know, I met my future husband at a party, and uh, we started dating, and um, two or three years later, we we got married, and then I. After the first child, I could bring down, I could diet and my weight would come down within a few, a kilo or two of what I was. But it was after my second pregnancy that I'd put on a lot of weight. I ate, you know, people say they eat for two, I think I ate for three and four and five, sort of used that as an excuse to just go for it. And and I couldn't bring the weight down afterwards. And, you know, I think I also suffered from postnatal depression. We'd moved to a suburb and it, I didn't have a car. And I remember being down. I was fearful to take the baby for a walk. I, I don't know what I thought would happen, um, but there was the fear. So the food came in and that made me feel better. Um, putting some food, some, the sugar and flour in my mouth, it was sort of a bit of a, a, it was just, it it was, um, stopped me from my, being aware of my reality. So I'd light up. Yeah. It didn't last that long and I'd have to keep putting more and more and uh, used other things like binge TV watching. There were times I just could not get up and switch the TV off. And uh, that wasn't good because I had little children and they needed attention. And it was just a depressing time for me at the time. So I was putting on weight and I didn't know what to do about it. Mm. Okay. Um, So
1: do you feel that you were your own worst enemy? Yeah. Were you very critical of yourself? Yes.
0: Yeah. And didn't like myself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so was food a comfort? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Because when I ate, I didn't have to think of other things. I could focus on the food, gave me a bit of pleasure, and so I could chill out, zone out, and didn't have, and didn't have to think of my responsibilities and what else that I needed to do, which I might not have wanted to do.
1: Right. So was your husband critical of you at this point?
0: Um, he, I you know it's, it's, what I remember is that he was very helpful. Yeah. He'd come home and he'd bath the children, read them a story, put them to bed. I'm sure he wasn't happy with some with the situation, but I don't remember him being overly critical. I must say, right? Yeah. Okay, he's um, a good man. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, most most partners with people with addictive problems yes. are are good people. Yeah. Yeah. They just get cross. They, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Um, so, with, with all this dieting and binging and yes. things, yes. What, what caused you to start thinking, this is, I can't control it? You know, I can't, I, it, it's out of control. At what point did you start thinking that something had to give?
0: I think I knew all along I was out of control. I just didn't know what to do. So I joined a commercial program. I um, So I stayed on that for a while. And the interesting thing was I lost the weight. I got down to my to my goal weight. But for some reason, after a while, there was nothing for me to, to, to keep going. Um, I had a little break that would have meant nothing all I had to do was the next day get back on it it wouldn't even affect my weight but because I had let myself down I didn't deserve to be slim so as a form of self abuse and self punishment so I started eating again and that used to be the pattern with other diets you know I'd find diets in in the women's magazines so somebody had this wonderful diet and I would get and I'd follow it it was alright for a while but it didn't last because the food masked how I felt about myself. And I remember saying to my husband, you just wait till I lose weight. I lost weight. It didn't help. Yep. It didn't help. I didn't feel better about myself. And that was the problem.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Mm. Um, so, Hannah,
1: over to you. So, after high school and, you know, moving out into work and life, mm-hmm. how how did your... I guess, um, your teenage eating change
2: um I think it got it got worse for me um i i I went on a number of diets myself and I could lose the weight, but once I thought that i was it a reasonable weight or near a goal weight? Um, I'd start to relax again and think, "Ah, oh, that's okay. okay. I've done it. Yeah, I've done it. Yeah, I'm okay." And and I'd also thought that once I was in the right size body, um, I life would change. Life would be much better. But it never was, and um, so I I just would start eating again and eating addictively. Um, Yeah, my early 20s, um, I travelled overseas for uh, almost a year and I went to the States and did an American summer camp and the opportunity to eat whatever I wanted um, was just too tempting and nobody from home was with me and watching and um, yeah, I ended up putting on a huge amount of weight. At, at summer camp, I was teaching swimming to kids and I, <laughs> I certainly didn't look like a swimming teacher at the end of the three months, that's for sure. Um, it got out of control. I, I, every day I'd say, okay, today I'm not going to eat, um, I'm not going to have that breakfast or I'm I'm going to ha- just have a f- healthy fruit breakfast. And, um, and then lo and behold, the smells would trigger... Um, my my, yeah. I, I just I just couldn't stop, and I'd, I'd um, I was feeling quite homesick as well, um, and just the food made me feel happier and happier every time. Yeah,
1: <laughs> That's tragic, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, what about relationships?
2: Yeah, relationships. So I I was with my boyfriend, now husband, at that time, and he met me after the summer camp to go travelling through Europe together. And I remember th- feeling full of fear before he came to meet me, um, thinking, oh, he's going to see how much weight I've put on. What am I going to do? Um, and uh, I tried desperately to, to restrict food, but it didn't work. And I I, I could see he was disappointed. Um, he's always been one to... Um, think of, of health and fitness as, as a very big part of, of life. Um, and yeah, I, I, and that's been my story. You know, I, we, we got married, but I've always felt like he, there's been this expectation that I've, I've got to keep healthy and fit myself. Um, but it's, it's just been too difficult. He's known where my stashes are around the house. Um, my secret hiding spots, and then I'd get really fanatical about hiding wrappers in people's bins, or after I'd eaten a whole packet of biscuits, or um, I, 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 the the mental obsession that came with the hiding and the sneakiness and the lies uh, with my husband, in particular, um, was was a very big part of my my disease. Yes. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah.
1: So, did you go on to have kids?
2: I did, yes, yes. So I've got two daughters, um, and my my oldest daughter was was born with a, a heart condition that required open heart surgery when she was six weeks old, and I felt like my whole life had fallen apart. Um, and I spent a lot of time in at the hospital. Um, I food gave me such great comfort. I was. Um, I felt very lonely and quite unsupported at the time. My husband, um, as as wonderful as as he is, uh, he couldn't cope with that. Um, uh, he actually was sure that we would probably lose her, um, and I just didn't feel. I felt like I was doing it alone, and and the food sort of held me up. Um, so yeah. After giving birth, I certainly didn't lose the baby weight, and then just put more and more on. Um, um, yeah, people kept saying, "Oh, keep breastfeeding; it'll it'll fall off you." But that was never <laughs> my story either. Um, I struggled being a mum. I struggled. Um, I wanted my kids to um, to eat well, sleep well. So then, I, I wanted to control. I wanted to control, yeah. and wanted to feel. Uh, I wanted to sit on the couch, watch TV and just numb, numb myself out um, just putting food, food in, into me. yeah. Mm. Mm.
1: Yes, that's life. Um, yeah. So w- could food, obviously it, it helped you sort of to numb, mm. but was it an enjoyable, was it in, you know, a, a lot of people find it supremely enjoyable. It just sort of relaxes them. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, what's your experience with that feeling?
2: Um, I think it's enjoyable in the first few mouthfuls, and then it just gets to the stage where I could eat um, a whole packet of biscuits, and then think, okay, what else? So that enjoyment is is there initially, but then afterwards, it it just dissipates, and it's more about filling filling the hole inside me that, that emotional emptiness and um i i could move from sweet to savory and back to sweet again and just keep making things up in the kitchen until it was all gone until it, a packet never stayed open you know it it just it had to be finished and and complete so i think initially there was that zing and that buzz and that enjoyment but then after after a while it just didn't didn't do anything for me transient yes yeah
1: you're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming Uh, I'm talking with Steph and Hannah and we're talking about food addiction Uh, so Steph um, we left you I think talking about um, dieting which is unusual so, did you seek any medical help for your eating and um, dieting?
0: Yes, I did. I went to a doctor who gave injections. Now, I'm not. I think it was something to do with pregnant <laughs> sheep, the serum, or pregnant cows, or something. I'd go there once a week, and that was supposed to help control the diet and uh, my, my weight. Um, I don't know if I did or, or didn't. I'm just glad I survived it because later on I heard that somebody had died from it. So it was, right. I remember going to a doctor for um, suppressant, uh, uh, appetite suppressant tablets. The only thing mm-hmm. was that they were like a drug to me <laughs> and just either made me high and I couldn't think and I couldn't function. So my husband said I should stop it straight away. So that was – that was a bit um, scary, and was and as I said, a few times I went back to that commercial weight wait, uh, uh, program, um, but mainly it was buying magazines at the checkout counter, or getting and I, re- I remember if I couldn't get the magazine, I'd go to all sorts of trouble just to get that magazine because it had the diet in it. And the irony was was that I didn't do the diet. <laughs> right. I just had to have the magazine. Had to look at the diet. A- that's right. I had yeah. to look at the diet, so I had to have it in my posi- uh, possession. Um, and it's um, – and the, the interesting as, – as I said, restricted. So I worked out this, this method that if I went to a restaurant, if I had two small entrees, then I could have a dessert – and it wouldn't look so bad if I had an entree and a main and a dessert. So that was, you know, my logical mind worked all these things out. My yeah. addictive logical mind worked all these yeah. things out. And and buffets were great because I could go back and until I became embarrassed. And then I'd send my husband and he'd go a couple of times and then he'd had enough or he wasn't doing it anymore. So, yeah, it was just really, really crazy behavior, behavior that's, I'm looking back on it now. And I can't say I'm ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I, I, addiction is a sickness. But I just, you know, am grateful that I don't have to live like that anymore. Mm. Yeah.
1: yeah, talking about addiction as a as an illness or a sickness, mm. um, most people don't understand that it, it is an illness. So can you share shed a bit of light on that? That yeah. understanding and and the difference it makes once you understand the problem,
0: yeah, about what you can do about it, that's right, because I thought I was a bad person, I was a bad person, but in reality, when after I came into the program and realized I was told and realized it was a sickness, I realized that I wasn't a bad person trying to become a good person, I was a sick person trying to get better, so that made a whole lot of difference. it gave me hope right yes it very gave important me hope. yes absolutely yeah. absolutely because what at having no hope just dragged me down and down and made me more depressed but here i had hope and i had a choice i could follow it or you know or or not follow it and i had a choice yep. and a choice is always good
1: yes it is
0: <laughs> so i um so yeah when i realized that it was a That what I had was an addiction to sugar and flour, and I realized that I was a sick person. That made things much easier. And I also realized, and from the reading, that as long as I did not put sugar and flour into my mouth, over a period of time the addiction would settle. But as long as I, as soon as I put food, the sugar and flour into my mouth. The addiction would kick Trigger, in. Trigger, yeah. Would get triggered, yeah. yeah. The addiction get triggered, yeah. Right. So, how did you find out about the meetings? Oh, a family member went for about four or five months before me, and I was and I saw how she, well she was doing, and 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 she she wanted me to come and she wanted me to come, but. I was putting her off because I had my grandchildren coming visit, visiting, and I didn't want anything to interfere with that. And they were coming uh, on the Sunday afternoon when one of the meetings was being held. And so, but eventually she wore me down. <laughs> she wore me down. So, and I went. And, and that is when I realized there was such a thing as an addic- addiction to sugar and flour. I just thought I, had, I was out of control. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah,
1: yep. so what was it like going to meetings initially?
0: Um, initially, um, I got to hear people's stories, and I identified with them. But it took me a while to take the step of taking it further. Yeah, so uh, three or four meetings, I think, I went to, and finally, a suggestion. She made a suggestion that I should join. <laughs> yeah, no point sitting on the sidelines. No. And when did
1: it start working for you?
0: Well, it started working as soon as I start uh, stopped putting the sugar and flour and quantities into my mouth. Uh, my clarity uh, came in... T- It was like a fog lifting of my mind. My memory improved. My understanding of reading instructions and things improved. There was just like a weight had lifted off my shoulders. So that was really, yeah. So the benefit more or less started straight away because I did not come in at my highest weight. So I wasn't full of sugar and flour. I'd sort of been dieting and I'd lost a bit of weight. So I wasn't full of yep. sugar and flour. So, you know, the food was not such an issue Okay, following yep. it, yeah. Okay, thanks. Uh, so, Hannah, over to you. So ha- what triggered you
1: to find a recovery program?
2: Well, I, w- I, I didn't actually realise there was such a thing as, as food addiction um, or, or a 12-step 12 12 step fellowship I've really had very little knowledge about. Mm. Um, I was always in search of the... The perfect diet. I'd been to see naturopaths, hypnotherapists, um, Chinese herbalists. um, Tried so many different diets out there, and um, and none of them had worked for me. Um, And so, yeah, I was at the gym one day, which is another another way that I did try to control my weight. Um, And up in the back corner, and I noticed, you know, I was standing behind um, somebody who I realised had come back to the gym after a little while, but she'd lost an incredible amount of weight and I all I could focus on for the whole class was I'm, I've got to ask her what she's done. So always in search of that that answer, I guess, that magic pill um, and chased her out to the car park and asked her. And <laughs> it sounds <laughs> crazy, I know. Um, um and said, what 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 have you done to lose all your weight? You know, I thought she'd been on Biggest Loser. And she said, it's FA, look it up online, um, foodaddicts.org. And I thought, oh, okay, never heard of anything like that before. And in a roundabout way, I ended up in another food um, 12-step fellowship. Um, I'll blame Google for that. <laughs> yeah. but, but in a way, it sort of gave me my introduction into um, – what food addiction was like, and there was a structured eating program, but there wasn't the same. Um, uh, there, there was only one meeting a week. There wasn't the same the same structure that that FA offers. And um, another friend had suggested that we um, we try and go in and, and and go to an FA meeting and see what see what I thought of it. I was really resistant at that stage. I thought. I've I've gone up and down in my weight. Um I'm probably nearly at the biggest I've been. Um and I really thought do I just accept that I'm going to be in this body forever? I just just accept and and that that's that's the way life is. But I knew that that made me miserable. That really um
1: it's not, hope. Yeah. there's no hope in that. There, there's is there? no
2: hope, no hope at all. But in, yeah, so I sat up in the back corner again, like back corners I do, <laughs> uh, where I can isolate even further, um, in the in my first FA meeting. And I heard, I heard the stories and even though they weren't exactly like mine, I could definitely relate to, to what I heard. And again, I heard hope and here I was thinking, oh, I'll just try this out for a few meetings and I ended up getting a, a sponsor by the end of the um, the first meeting and, and thought, right, I've got to give this a go. Yeah. I think this is the only thing out there that's going to work for me. And so, that, again, yeah, that hope. Yep. Yeah. So did understanding
1: addiction help you as well?
2: It did, actually. It didn't feel so overwhelming. Um, I, 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 I understood that... The way sugar lights up the brain, and um, I understood it a little bit more from a scientific point of view as well. Um, it, it is like a like like a drug, and um, once it's put in the mouth, that that uncontrollable craving um, is is ignited, and so that that made me think, okay, I I have this. Um, I have this disease and I need, to, I need to be able to do something about it, you know, um, mm. to, to go forward. Yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, so, Steph, um, the reason why you got serious was that you felt it was a last resort. So yes. what what's that feeling like when you think, I've got to do something because I'm right at the end of my tether?
0: Yes, it was a very, very desperate feeling, very desperate. And I I remember it. And I hope to never forget it. I just remember being in the kitchen and realizing having this dreadful realization that if I left program, there was no no hope for me out there. There was nothing else I could try, nothing. And I'm not, and and that I would die. And I don't mean literally, but in a sense, as me, I, um, I would be gone. There wasn't anything I could do that. You know my life would just get worse and worse, and that's when I decided because to become to be to take it on properly because I'd been in program for seven months and I had done it half heartedly and that's not the way this program works so when I got this desperate desperate desperate, I decided that I'm going to take it on and do it properly and um and that made all the change my attitude changed my ability to do the program changed I took it very very seriously I um I just followed what I, I did what I was told before that I was wasn't prepared to do that but once I got the desperate became so desperate I said right that's it There's nowhere else for me to go. There's no hope out there. I have to do it. And there's that word again, hope, and that sort of made a difference. So I have been doing this program for over 10 years now, and I'm very, very grateful for that. And it's sort of made a – apart from being in a healthy body, it's made a difference to the rest of my life.
1: Mm. Has it changed the way you try and control others?
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes <laughs> Yes, I mean, I when, at the beginning, when I used to n- n- when I wasn't able to control myself, I tried to control others, other family members my husband, my children, my grandchildren, and so on. Um, but that has changed because I realized that I don't need to control anybody. I don't even need to control myself. I just need to do what needs to be done and uh, things will flow from that. I, um, and it's, so it's led to a far better relationship with myself and that has led to a far better relationship with my husband and with my children and grandchildren and the people around me. I'm a far nicer person to get on with and I'm not judgmental. I don't judge myself badly. I don't judge other people badly. I accept life on life's terms. You know, um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that I'm in program and everything is perfect. No, no. Life goes on. It's my, how I react to it that mm. is important, and that has changed. Good. Yeah. Okay. Um, so,
1: Hannah, one of the things we were talking about earlier was being honest with yourself. Mm. So, what's it like now, being able to admit? You have a problem
2: it's such a relief Bill I am um, going into a meeting and f- feeling like I'm surrounded by people who understand me and who who think like me is um, I, I can finally feel like I can speak my truth um, and and not feel shamed about it um, um, people can relate to to how, what I what I say and um, yeah I feel I feel like it's everything's safe um, and and friendly and open and honest at, at when when you know we get together it's it's a really good feeling yeah, yeah
1: it is good isn't it yeah <laughs> okay um, if you'd like to find out more about food addicts and recovery anonymous then you can phone them on oh three eight five nine four 2282, or you can go online at foodaddicts.org. Uh, that's about all we've got time for today, so I'd like to thank Steph and Hannah for coming into the 3CR studio and sharing their Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous experience with us. Thank you.
2: thank you. Thank you.
1: I hope you're about to join us again next week when we'll be talking about living with the family disease of alcoholism, and we'll be joined by Emily and Juanita from Alan and Family Groups. Stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Thanks for listening to the Living Free program today.